Episode 90, Staying in Touch Outside the Office Visit. Today, I speak with Sohail Sadat, PhD, who is the CEO over at GenieMD and Friendly. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Patients want access to their PCP. Now. (laughs) And they want access where they are, not across town after a four-hour wait. Meanwhile, PCPs are in short supply. Plus, there's all kinds of evidence about the importance of follow-up care after a hospitalization or certain diagnoses. But once a patient leaves the office, it's often out of sight, out of mind on both sides of the equation. The opportunity for connectivity here is clear, and clearly technology is an element in this. Today I speak with Sohail Sadat, CEO of GenieMD and Friendly, about what he calls high-tech, high-touch connectivity between patients and providers. Not only does this drive happier, healthier patients, but also lessens the burden on an already overburdened PCP. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Sohail. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Let's talk about overworked physicians, which is no secret in this country. There are many overworked physicians. Yeah, one of the reasons for the primary care physicians to be overworked is that our population is getting older. I saw some statistics by year 2030, one out of every five Americans are going to be over the age of 65. Many people are crossing the age 80. So we live longer, uh, fortunately, but we, of course, continue to have health issues that we need to see a primary care physician. So Uh, The demand is going up from that aspect of the game. Also, these physicians themselves, of course, are getting older and they're retiring. Some are bailing out even because of the use of EMR. So fewer physicians are available. And perhaps most importantly, it's the accountable care uh, that is bringing uh, some additional 30 to 40 million, basically, consumers of healthcare that did not really participate before ACA, but now they are going to be asking for visits with primary care and so forth. So the demand is going significantly higher and the number of physicians are going down. And therefore, that leads to the physicians to be overworked and have to work extra hours. If I'm a PCP, I set my shingle out. And what starts to happen is that patients keep calling and keep calling and keep calling. So now all of a sudden, I have too many patients. What really this uh, translates to is that as a patient, you develop a, a simple problem of, say, upper respiratory infection, and you call your primary care to make an appointment, and you have to wait 48 hours to kind of see the physician. It's just there are so many hours in a day that they work and see patients, but it's really the patient experience that is suffering here in that you, as a patient, there are some interesting statistics. For example, one in three patients find it difficult to see their primary care. One in four patients find it difficult to leave their work to kind of go see their primary care. So, and 50% of the ER visits really should be a primary care visit, but people just go to ER because the primary care is not available or 
just the wrong time of the day and they just kind of go to the ER. Half of the visits actually to primary care are for 40 common illnesses that at the end of the day, you really didn't have to see the physician directly. And that's what kind of all of this telemedicine is coming into the play. If I'm a PCP and I have all of these patients that I want to make sure that I'm treating them and offering them the user experience that they're going to need in order for them to stay within my care setting, what do I need to be thinking about? The most important thing that a PCP would be, or just the health system that the PCP is part of, is to how do you make the PCP more efficient? In general, how do you make the entire system more efficient? And not only more efficient, but more convenient to the consumer. So you have your consumers staying with you and you can recruit new patients. So efficiency is one of the most important aspects of this, in our opinion, and And that's why we think telemedicine plays a very significant role in making physicians more efficient. And of course, there are different ways of doing telemedicine that perhaps we can talk about, but uh, there are ways that using computer technologies and the advancement in mobile technologies, et cetera, we can actually not only make the patient experience significantly better, but we also make the physicians more efficient and therefore they can attend not only more patients, but also they attend the patients that need more attention and they spend more time with them and spend less time with patients that have simple problems that can be addressed quickly. I know last time that we had spoken, you had called that load balancing. Yeah, see, I mean, a typical visit to a primary care doctor's office is that you go in and nurse will triage you, measures your temperature, etc. And then you just sit and wait in this little cubicle for the physician to come in. And regardless of the complexity of your situation, most of the time they are there for 15 minutes. Whether I have a, a serious problem or less problem, yes, of course, he would spend a few more minutes with me. But at the end, he has to kind of move on to the next patient. So the ability to attend the patient's conditions, the ones that are non-critical in a way that you either have that condition addressed by sort of a lower expertise within the practice, such as a nurse practitioner or a PA, or if For example, one of the things that we do in Friendly is we get the patients to report their symptoms to their own doctor without really the doctor asking those questions. Part of the reason for the 15 minutes, the doctor being there, is that he's asking you all these questions. Usually it's anywhere from 15 to 20 questions that he would ask you. So those questions can be automated and the patient could be asked those questions in advance Now, whether he's going to see the doctor or even remotely, the doctor can very quickly go look at these questions and answers and determine exactly what the problem is and times they can prescribe medicine or put you in the right care setting. Let's talk about those questions for a sec. And you said this is within your friendly Mm -hmm. product. Are these questions answered at home before the patient shows up in the office? Are they answered in the waiting room? I mean, like, where does that typically happen? It can actually happen in both cases, but the preferred way from actually the patient's perspective is that he would just do this from home. So as I said, most of the cases for primary care or for non-critical situations, this type of infection or skin irritation or what have you. And so what the patient can do is 
pick up their cell phone or go to their doctor's website and specify their symptoms. And based on their symptoms and the fact that we know this patient, we can go to the medical records and know this is a female, potentially is pregnant, for example, has the history of heart conditions, whatever conditions that this patient has, then we can ask the same exact questions that the doctor would ask based on evidence-based medicine and guide the patient through these questions and answers and then create a report that we send to your primary care doctor and he can, in two minutes, scan through these questions and answers and determine what your problem is. So this has really a couple of significant advantages. One is that the primary care physician doesn't have to spend the time asking you those questions. Also, we do the documentation for him because when you go to that cubicle after you leave, notice that he, he stays behind for another five minutes and typing a lot of this information into the EMR. Well, we do that for him. So we make the physician very efficient in that regard. Per your point about the load balancing is that when these requests come in, these reports come in about patients reporting their symptoms, that can go into a bucket and that bucket can be attended during the downtime of a physician, can be attended by a nurse practitioner, can be attended by a PA, or can be attended by some of the other physicians that are perhaps new to the practice. They are not as high demand as a, a more experienced physician. Even medical students at times can attend. So you kind of get rid of all of these huge number of very simple cases, and then you free up the physician's time to pay more attention and spend more quality time with patients that have more complex issues. And the further in advance that you know the answers to those questions, then the more able a practice is to align the right level of provider to that patient. In other words, if you're only asking these questions when the patient's sitting in the exam room, then your ability to make sure that patient is treated by the appropriate person or the exactly appropriate person starts to diminish just from a timing perspective. There, there is actually a use case for the patient to be asked these questions in the waiting room. However, it is, of course, much preferred for the patient to not even leave their home. And are these questions always the same questions or is there some sort of I don't know, predictive analytics or machine learning or something where some sort of logic where if they answer yes to one question, they get delivered a different second question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is not a, sort of a hard-coded series of questions. So the way this works is that you have to just think as to how your doctor would be asking these questions. So the doctor has learned that if the patient is, for example, complaining about abdominal pain, he should be asking a whole series of questions. What is the temperature? Do you have also a headache? Do you also have this problem and that problem? Those are basically, it's called evidence-based questions. These doctors are, do learn at school that these are the questions that they should be asking. However, these questions are different depending on the age of the uh, individual, the, uh, the gender, whether that person, for example, is female, is pregnant, do they have a chronic condition, uh, are they diabetic, do they have heart, heart? So these questions uh, although there's a general kind of set of questions, but these questions are going to be executed in completely different sequence and more or less questions are going to be asked of these patients based on their history, whether it's their own health history or 
family history or, or what have you. We have mentioned Friendly several times. We know that it's got a way to deliver questions in advance to patients, and we've teased out that it does have a telemedicine aspect. But could you just close the loop and give us the overview of the other things which Friendly does? <laughs> sure. Actually, Friendly came about as a merger, a joint venture between two companies, Gini MD and GoGo Health. And we basically combined the mobile technologies and personal health record management and care management of Gini MD with these protocols and the assessments and the way of connecting a patient to their own doctor. And by combining these technologies, we have actually come up with a very, very unique solution where we provide technology to clinics, health systems, insurance companies, and employers where their members, whether it's employee or patient of a health system, and from the comfort of their homes, they can report their conditions to their own doctor uh, through these evidence-based protocols. We collect this information in a very intelligent way and then send the questionnaire to your own doctor, and it is the doctor that will make the final decision as to what he wants to do with you. That is a very unique solution that we are offering. And of course, over the, the months and the past couple of years, we have added a lot of other technologies such as video conferencing, if it's necessary, secure text messaging, the management of your personal health records and all of the things that you have to do after you leave the doctor's office. For example, we have a very comprehensive medication adherence package to remind you to take your medications. We help you keep track of your vitals through smart devices. We have a, a care team strategy where your family members uh, can be involved in your care. They are notified if something is not right, etc. So it's all in all a very comprehensive and unique uh, solution that we offer. Everything that you talked about would enable a patient to be able to engage with and interact with their physician practice virtually. Absolutely. And when the patient sees the doctor, whether you see the doctor face-to-face -face or you use one of these telemedicine technologies, after that, the doctor and the patient are disconnected. The doctor really has no idea what is happening with the patient. Are they following their care plan? Are they feeling better, etc.? We also provide technologies for the outreach from the clinic back to the patient. Imagine a patient goes through heart surgery. Obviously, there is a follow-on care that there's a vested interest on the clinic side to kind of reach out and see if the patient is recovering and, and how they're doing. So we also provide technology where you can push one of these assessments to the patient during the recovery time, for example. What's the response rate? If a survey gets sent out, is it that the preponderance of patients will fill out the survey? What we are uh, saying is, has been our experience, is that patients do not get engaged if you just give them a technology solution. If, you, if I give you an app and say, here's an app, Stacy, please just go take care of your health. Uh, we see that the engagement is pretty good the very first few days or few weeks, but then it just kind of drops down. However, the experience that we have is that if you have high tech combined with high touch, then you see a lot of engagement. We are just trying to facilitate the connection between the doctor and the patient or the members of the clinic and the patient. And it's through that high touch 
that we facilitate this high-touch connection that we see a lot more engagement of the patients. What exactly do you mean by high tech and high touch? Does that mean that I get a lot of emails? You know what I mean? Like, could you just define more specifically what high touch looks like exactly? We have seen in the market that significantly more engagement is seen when a coach, for example, on a periodic basis, whether it's every week or every two weeks, you connect with that coach and you basically have to, for the lack of a better word, report to that person as to how you did, whether you did the exercise, whether you ate right, etc. It is that connection that we call high touch. I get it. High touch means a personal touch. So in other words, if I get that questionnaire that I am confident that someone is looking at it and someone actually might even reach out and talk to me about what I typed in there. Exactly. For example, you might get a text message or you might get an email, but it's an email that has not come from a computer. It's an email that has come from a person, a person that is expressing care for you. If I'm a provider practice that's contemplating a solution like this, do I need to significantly restaff? I mean, I feel like with this high touch comes obviously some burden. What kind of staffing do I need to have in order to stand up a solution like this? We really truly realize that anything that is intrusive is not going to be adopted because these clinics and physicians are extremely busy and they don't even have time to consider yet another piece of technology. So our claim to fame here is that we are very non-intrusive and we blend into the existing workflow. Although it is true that in certain instances you would need to staff up, but at the same time there are incentives in place to justify that staffing. There's also a CPT code now for telemedicine. Almost all states now you can get reimbursed for uh, for telemedicine. And this is basically the video telemedicine that has kind of led the way uh, the type of telemedicine that I was talking about uh, our offering of asynchronously is also starting to kind of get reimbursed. Synchronous telemedicine is currently reimbursed and asynchronous is not. Is that correct? It is not in majority of the cases, but that is a changing landscape. If you're concerned about network leakage or, or patient leakage, it might be really convenient to go up the block and go to an urgent care center, but it's even more convenient to sit at your computer and have a telemedicine visits. Yeah, you know, and the, the consumers are like, if you go to San Francisco, as soon as you enter San Francisco, there's a big Amazon sign that says, Amazon delivers in one hour. So we are now starting to kind of get used to, we order something, we want the delivery within an hour. And now they're even talking about drones that are going to drop the toothpaste at your house. So the same same demand or same desire exists when we are not feeling well. We really would like to have immediate answer. A mother that wakes up in the middle of the night and the child is crying, has a fever, etc. You don't want to wait for the morning or you don't want to in the middle of winter, uh, just have to drive the kid to the emergency room. It's just the fact that many aspects of a visit can be done virtually because of the advancements of mobile and internet and so forth. But also the fact that now it's being reimbursed is just a significant progress in addressing some of the concerns that uh, patients have had. You integrate IBM Watson technology into your 
at least the friendly offering. I'm fascinated by this. How exactly are you using Watson there? Watson and in general cognitive computing, in our opinion, is going to play a very, very significant role in medicine. Currently, what we have done is we have trained Watson to answer health questions. So if you have a health concern, you can always go to one of these search engines. You can go to Google and put in the question and get 200 million answers. Well, you don't really know which of these answers is is a reliable and good answer. So what we have done is we have gotten some very good content that we license. We have given Watson that content trustworthy and curated. And then we have trained Watson to answer these questions. So that's been the phase one. And then the phase two was that based on the conditions of the individual, we generate a series of questions that would be of interest to the individual, but the answers will come from Watson. So the person had stroke, and now they specify to us that they have had stroke. There are a whole bunch of things that we ask Watson to basically recommend to this individual. How do you prevent a future stroke? How do you live with a stroke? All of the questions that an individual would have. So we offer that as recommendation. And then lastly, and really is the moonshot that we, we hope to achieve over some time, is that to reduce the errors that when you go to a primary care, there are some of the statistics that I've heard is that when you go to a primary care physician, 25% of the time, they send you home with either wrong diagnosis or wrong treatment. And every time I say 25% to people that know what's going on, they say that number is low. So the reason for it is perhaps beyond the patients of, uh, of our call today, but let's just take that there is a significant number of errors. So imagine if you could use cognitive computing, whether it's that we ask the questions in advance of the patient, using cognitive computing, decide as to what this patient's problem is, or just even during the visit, imagine that the computer could also hear the questions and answers between the patient and the physician. And then at the end, it is not that the patient is going to interact with the computer. We really believe that at the end of the day, the doctor and the patient need to be the only two entities that communicate with each other. But the doctor can also look at the computer and say, so the doctor is going to hear my case and is going to say that you have upper respiratory infection. It can then ask or look at Watson and say, hey, what is your diagnosis? And if it's the same, then I think we have, we have a good chance to have reduced that 25% error. If it is different, then perhaps the doctor and the computer can have a dialogue as to why they have come to different diagnosis. And I think that through that dialogue, the doctor is going to be convinced or the computer is going to be convinced that the other one is correct. But at the end of the day, all of this would mean that it will reduce the number of errors when you go to a primary care. An error in primary care has very significant consequences. The patient can go home and kind of get significantly worse and have to go to ER. The patient has bad experience. So it's a consumer of that health system. The patient doesn't want to go back or will go somewhere else. So we see cognitive computing to be a very significant player in the future of medicine. I think last year, there were some significant number of articles that were published in a variety of different medical journals. And no doctor has the time to read even 
0.001% of these articles. So, but imagine if a computer system such as Watson could ingest all of this information and then start making sense out of it and offer hints and suggestions to the physician on a case-by-case basis, that would be a very significant advancement in, in treating patients. You had mentioned Eric Topol before. There was a book, uh, and I forget which one of his, where Eric Topol was saying that from a diagnosis perspective, computers, for all of the reasons why you just suggested, have a significant advantage over humans as it relates to diagnosis. Not necessarily treatment, but definitely diagnosis, combined with all the wearables and the pocket scans, as he calls them, that are coming out right now. You know, for example, there's an ultrasound machine that's as accessible as a stethoscope for a physician and all these wearables right now where a patient can check their heart rate at home. A patient almost has the data that if they have the access to a a machine or cognitive processing such as Watson, they actually can be well on their way to a diagnosis even before a physician gets involved. But I really love what you're saying that because this is also very evident the second that uh, you introduce a computer into the equation that sometimes they can be incredibly dumb, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not recognizing things that just a human makes perfect sense to a human. So it's very interesting how you're talking about having that, getting the best of both worlds. Absolutely. I agree with uh, Dr. Topol and a variety of other VCs that have come out and said that uh, computers, uh, e- either now or in a few years, are going to be significantly better and create less error than a human doctor. But I still believe that for many, many years to come, the patients are not going to be engaging just with a computer for the diagnosis of their disease or their health condition. I think it is still the human factors, the fact that we like to kind of see a doctor or hear from a doctor that is going to drive this diagnosis and treatment coming from a, a human being as opposed to from a computer. Now, if we are in a faraway place on planet Earth where there are no doctors, then maybe this is not a bad solution. But here in the States or in Europe or in some of the other countries, I think it's still going to be the human touch, the the fact that a doctor or a clinician or a nurse is making the decision and you know that the decision is coming from them is more engaging and more acceptable to the patient than the computer, albeit that maybe the computer is more accurate. Well, I think how I tend to look at it is that computers can be very intelligent, but they can never be wise. It takes a human to be wise. Where can people learn more about Friendly or your other company, which we barely talked about it all, which is GenieMD. Where's more information available? The best way is to go to our website, uh, friendlycares.com or geniemd.com. We, of course, the lines between these companies are really blurred and uh, we are all going to soon be just one entity, but that's the best way. We offer demos uh, on the internet and we offer pilots for people to try this out. And we have uh, had significant success uh, to date. And we have a very interesting pipeline of opportunities. And we'd love to hear from uh, your listeners about any potential interest that they might have in our technology. Well, it has been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much. I had a great time with you this morning. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, 
you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.